Hello, and welcome back to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Unless this is your first episode, in which case, hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. <laughs> You've always been here. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about the Aether. You've always been here. Um, it's a big welcome back for us, though, which yes. I'm assuming is why you said that, because we haven't recorded in the last two weeks. We took a week off, and we had to also record two episodes in one sitting. So this is us kind of like back in the present timeline. In some yeah, ways. so much has happened. I know we always say yeah. this every time we take <laughs> any time off in recording, but so much has happened. Like actually this time, like actually everything has happened. I feel like the Nintendo Switch had like the best week I've seen it have in forever in terms of video game releases. And there's just so much to talk about. We did have some stuff that we wanted to talk about a little bit ahead of the uh, like cacophony of video games we're going to throw at you later. Number one. It's worth mentioning that all of the like Summer Games Fest events have happened, um, maybe except for an upcoming Nintendo Direct, which is rumored but not confirmed yet, at least as of the time of this recording, uh, maybe happening later in the month. If there's a Nintendo Direct at the end of the month, definitely expect us to talk about it on the show in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, we will form. do something for that, yeah. Especially if it's as unhinged as they usually are. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah. I think you and I have a couple things on our bingo card for that that seem like pretty likely to happen that if they do this show will melt down and the aether will become the nether or something two eternal truths about nintendo <laughs> are that you can never predict what they're going to do but the one certainty is that they only announce things that are coming out in the next six months usually yeah usually there's like a 90 percent chance that that's the case so the mix of chaos with that like tight delivery schedule is always a mess <laughs> it's always like what you get this later today? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so very excited about that. Yeah. But that having been said, uh, we are going to do a Patreon bonus about all of the events that we missed. Uh, I was away. I was at Walter's Disney World uh, for a little bit uh, <laughs> and really enjoyed like standing in line for rides or being at a bar or something and receiving lots of Discord notifications and texts about stuff that was getting announced in those events. Um, so Steve and I are going to do like a wrap up of all the stuff uh, that we missed while we were gone, which will be very cool. So that'll be on the Patreon feed. Uh, probably soon maybe even so soon that it's already out by the time you're hearing this so just a heads up about that <laughs> on top of that yeah. we are going to philadelphia soon to record our nintendo ds bonus finally a year in the making actually which is wild yeah is it yeah it's crazy pretty much it's been like eight or nine months we had the idea because we always try to record game of the year episodes in person the only one we didn't do that for was in 2020 obviously yeah but we wanted to make that happen for the season premiere as well because it just always elevates the energy and like those episodes are a big deal for us so i'm really glad we were able to make that happen so yeah. i'm excited to do that very soon so that'll be very exciting uh just wanted to give another shout out because we are not talking about any ds games in this episode um i think we're kind of in like save them for that episode mode so just a heads up that that is coming very soon i think our plan is like early july is when it'll come out but we're recording it at the end of june um, so yeah. that's going to be very exciting. And then the last bit of housekeeping uh, is that I am going to be guesting on a show called DLC uh, with Jeff Kanata and Christian Spicer, which, again, I think will be out by the time this episode is out. And that's very exciting. So go check that out. Hell yeah. um, I will say on a high level, that is one of the shows that very much inspired this one. So this is very exciting. Uh, so I guess tune into that. I'm very excited for you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, it's going to be great. It's, yeah, it's going to be exhilarating. And that's all <laughs> the preamble. Let's talk about the bullshit. We got a Fire Emblem game to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> the demo for Fire Emblem Three Hopes 
has come out. I actually have a video about this. I played the first like 45-ish minutes of the demo. Uh, that's on our YouTube if you want to check that out. Yeah. See my thoughts in real time. I have since finished <laughs> the uh, six-hour demo in my case. So like three houses, you can choose a house. And it seems like even more so than three houses, the beginning chapter is like very different for each group. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know like fully, this won't be spoilers. Like I don't know like fully what's happening in each, but it seems like you might have like the same first mission and then the rest is like totally different. So yeah. I went Golden Deer. I know you went Blue Lions. We'll get to that later. Yeah, it just felt like the cosmic move. Yeah, it did. It's weird because I remember when we first got three houses, I was very allured by the deer, but I went blue lions. because I figured no one else was going to play them. I just thought <laughs> that'd be like the least popular house. Yeah. Something with the Holy Kingdom of Fargus just felt like this is where the losers <laughs> hang out, you know, and similar with you, you were most allured by the lions, but went deer. And now we've switched yeah. in this yeah. alternate universe game. So just to kind of pitch like what three hopes is, um, this is announced at a Nintendo Direct, I think earlier this year yeah i would i would guess like around six months ago yeah, yeah it was like february or march somewhere in that vicinity and it is a warriors spin-off so these have been really interesting in the last few years especially because like warriors games are sometimes called like muso games sort of the name for the genre they've been around for forever there's like a million spin-offs of warriors games and i would say for a long time like if there was like a Dragon Ball Warriors game or like a One Piece Warriors game or, or choose your franchise, like it was usually kind of a reskin. Like it would basically mm. play like a Warriors game, but with like those characters. And like on a surface level, that's sometimes enough. Cause like I think if you like this genre and you like that series, it's sort of a dream come true. Yeah. And whenever they announce these types of games, I kind of enter with that mindset where I'm like, at the very least, it's like playing with action figures from something <laughs> that I like. Yes. Uh, exactly. So, that being said, though, I think so that was very much my experience with that idea of like, this is a Warriors game with these characters. I would say the first Hyrule Warriors feels very much like that. I had, I had a great time with that game. That was a surprising hit for me. I kind of had no interest going into that because that was also in the year of Luigi. Nintendo lost <laughs> $400 million Wii U nightmare and Breath of the Wild hadn't come out yet. So like the last Zelda was Skyward Sword. Mm-hmm. And then they released Hyrule Warriors as kind of like a we're working on the next one game. Right. I remember there was a lot of discourse online. Like, you know, when I had Facebook, like people were talking about Hyrule Warriors as if it was the next like mainline Zelda game. They're like, what the hell happened? It was like <laughs> Link, Link throwing a bunch of bombs at like hordes of goblins. Um, <laughs> it very much was not that. But if you went in kind of knowing what you were getting into, I thought that game was a lot of fun, especially the local co-op. So that was my like formative entry. Me too. That that game had a very like head empty, just like enjoy the fact that they invented Linkle kind of vibe, which was so silly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that that game was like kind of junk food, but fun. But in in recent years, like I was alluding to, I feel like these collaborations have really stepped up in quality. Yeah. Um, I think that Persona 5 Strikers is a standout for me and that like that game feels like a Persona game with real-time combat. Mm -hmm. And it's not even designed like usually, you know, in a traditional Musou game. And I'm not super familiar. Like I don't have a strong history with the genre. So like, please correct me if I'm missing anything. But from the ones I've played, it's usually like you play as a character or characters in kind of like almost an RTS map where there 
there are like friendly bases and enemy bases and there are hordes of enemies and you run around and basically it's it's usually a test of like how quickly can you achieve certain goals yeah and the combat is kind of like purposely button meshy and all about spectacle so like the characters will be like doing these like fighting game combos where you're like summoning tornadoes and all this crazy stuff and i always kind of think of them as like rts but played as like a fighting game or as like a like a left to right like beat em up it has <laughs> that kind of like arcadey quality to it yeah so anyway like i think that Persona 5 Strikers was really fascinating because like it didn't have that usual structure like the way you navigated palaces which are like the dungeons in Persona 5 they were laid out like it would be a Persona game but when you got into a fight it would be you know like that type of of combat in like one room which was very which was really cool it was really smart so it's just like how quickly can you get through this they really incorporated a lot of the like persona elements which was really interesting so like the the kind of like almost like pokemon taken to the nth degree element (laughs) matchup kind of vibe and then also you have the personas which you're you know busting out every once in a while it really did feel like a really uh, a strong marriage of what you would traditionally expect from a musao game and what i think this is where you're going and with what you would expect from a persona five kind of spinoff and then Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity kind of a similar thing because that game was a a purported prequel pseudo side story alternate canon from Breath of the Wild and like really focused on that story and those characters which I think was a really smart move for them it did definitely play a lot like the first Hyrule Warriors I will say yeah but the focus on story and narrative was definitely like kind of a new thing that was kind of a more interesting vibe was like we're gonna tell one cohesive story it is like kind of technically maybe tied into this maybe not um, and you just need to play to find out so even having like that narrative string to pull you through was, I think, more compelling. My issue with these games, generally speaking, especially on the Switch, is that they just like don't run very well on the Switch. Um, that's always been my main concern, I think. I have not played the original Fire Emblem Warriors, which um, I know is also on Switch and was from yeah. forever ago. But I was a little bit nervous about this one because of all of that going on with uh, the previous games. Because every time I get a demo for these games, I'm always like, man, I, I want this to be the one that I like and I never really do. Even Persona 5 Strikers, which I think, you know, is really successful in a lot of degrees. I I just like couldn't bring myself to get all the way through. I mean, maybe I'll revisit it before the end of the year, but I'm always looking for the Musou game that I'm going to really like because I I do have a history with these games. I like grew up playing the Dynasty Warrior games with my friends and like really loved them. Um, I don't really need a narrative. I don't really need a whole lot. I just need it to be like extremely silly and like run pretty well. That's like kind of my those are like my baselines for having fun with these games because it is nice to get a game that like you just totally turn your brain off and mash buttons and just like watch, you know, hundreds of dudes fly through the air with, with like one swing of a sword. It's extremely silly and campy in a really fun way. Um, yeah. And watching Koi Tecmo kind of start to incorporate the elements of the of the IP that they're like tying in with has been really interesting. It's also worth mentioning in this case that Koi Tecmo worked on Three Houses as well. They were like one of the yeah. teams that like helped build that game. So there is already kind of an overlap here where like you could tell they have a love for the franchise and for this game in particular. Um, so tying in with three houses, I think is really exciting. So I, this to me felt like even more than Persona 5 Strikers did or Age of Calamity. This felt the most like primed to be the one that I was like, yeah. finally gonna love. And I think same for you. And the big open question for everybody, uh, me especially was just like, is it gonna run well? Because uh, I don't I don't need it to be 60 frames per second. I don't need it to be, you know, like perfect. I just need it to be like manageable. I need it to like run, you know, because every once in a while you'd be like doing a swing of a sword or something and it would just like stutter a whole bunch and in a game that the 
combat literally is about fluidity. Like the whole game, yeah. the whole premise of playing any of these moves out games is like they need to be kind of like locked in terms of the animations or else you're going to start to fuck up your own combos. It would be like if Street Fighter wasn't running at like a locked frame rate. This is like the only exactly. time I will ever, ever be the frame rate guy. But like this is the game that it needs to be pretty stable for. Totally. Yeah. And I was very interested in this demo for that reason. And like pretty much immediately I was stoked. It runs so well. You can tell they like really put a lot of time into optimizing this. And that's like just the bare bones of why I think this game is good. There's a whole like, you know, Fire Emblem layer on top of it that I think you wanted to get into. That is great. But like just for the people who are like, oh, I've heard a lot about these Moose Out games, but they don't run very well on Switch. This is like the one that does finally, which is exciting. I totally agree. I also think that going back to sort of the marriage between Koei Tecmo and Fire Emblem, I think that in structure, this game has sort of the traditional maps and like zones and strategy that Warriors games do. Yeah. But it works perfectly with sort of the tactics approach of Fire Emblem. Yes. Because one thing that like you'll do often in these types of games is you'll have like four characters on your team and you can give orders to like you can switch between who you're controlling Mm-hmm. But you can also give orders to them and like, be like, okay, like you like go to this base and capture it. You guard this NPC. That's always felt messy to me. And like every <laughs> Warriors game I played, it's like always like the UI is just a nightmare. I can never really figure out like yeah. why or how I'm doing it. In this game, it's really well done because you can pull up the map. You see the like classic sprites of all the characters and you give them orders, which feels like you're playing Fire Emblem. You know, they yes, have like exactly. little lines where they'll be like, I got it. Or like me, you know, like. <laughs> choose everyone and, and tell them where to go and what's also really cool is that like there are some maps that are so big you can you'll have like nine characters but you can only ever control four so like some of the other characters will just be orders mm-hmm. which i think is cool because that way it's like you're not being overwhelmed because every character plays really differently and like three houses you can like class everyone very differently and all the classes play really uniquely and like we can get into that more but like that is something that i think also really helps this game because one other pitfall of of musa games for me is that it can get repetitive you know i can see the yeah. same animation cycle over and over and over again in this game the speed in which you acquire and master classes makes it so that every match feels fresh mm-hmm. like every match you're kind of learning like how does the thief play how does the flugel play the flugel. spoiler <laughs> flugel's broken as shit i love the flugel <laughs> And that keeps it really fresh. And also like seeing, I think it's kind of fun to see like, you know, in Fire Emblem, because it's a tactics game, we are exploring ideas and seeing the execution of those ideas. Mm. So, you know, the weapon triangle, like axes are good against lances or whatever. I never quite remember it, but like, you know, we have the strategies in our head and we tell the units where to go. We see the outcome of those actions here, actually getting the ability to play through it, seeing like why Hilda's axe strikes are good at breaking a boss's guard is -hmm. actually kind of thrilling. It feels like it's filling in the blanks in a way that I wasn't really expecting it to. I will say that swords and axes are my favorite so far. Like swords just sheds the main character is just broken as shit in like the best way possible. Yeah. You're like constantly like flying around, summoning tornadoes, casting <laughs> spells. You can transform into like a Super Saiyan. And then, you know, Hilda's running around with an axe, like just barely swinging it. Like and I think it's <laughs> it is kind of fun that like similar also to Three Houses, like the protagonist is kind of already a step ahead. So it is up to the player to like see, like, oh, like everyone else is new at this. You know, I need to actually like train and get better as a player with these other characters so that everyone's operating on the same level. Yeah. And I have to say, like, 
just on like a mechanical level, like the way the UI explains like leveling up and what certain abilities do, how to use them, what classes give you once you've mastered them, how to change classes, seeing the hierarchy of classes. Mm-hmm. All of that is so much clearer than three houses is. I actually <laughs> hope like there, there's a lot of UI improvement here that I hope Fire Emblem just like takes with them in the mainline series. Cause like seeing the list of classes in three houses, you won't know like if you're picking up any Fire Emblem game, your first instinct is going to be like, okay, cool. So Bernadetta uses a bow. I'll make her an archer. That seems like it's a, a an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's on track with what the game wants me to do. You're never in a million years going to think, actually make her a flugel first. So she learns plus two movement. Then make her a priest. So she learns <laughs> renewal. Then make her a villager again. Don't use her until the time skip. It's like, what? It's so many unintuitive things to like min-max a character. And like, yeah. To be fair, in three houses, unless you're playing on maddening, you don't ever need to know that. But I do think that this game kind of like illustrates that idea by being like, okay, it's pretty quick to master a class and you'll see what the bonuses are. So like you're Mm -hmm. already kind of like being given information like, hey, maybe just like play this character as a thief just to get those abilities and then switch back to a flugel. You know, I think that's like a really clear way to communicate an idea that you would only find on like angry forums, you know, like this is just like clear, <laughs> concise information. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, you know, important to the DNA of a fire emblem game. And I think you're right. in in, in hoping that, you know, okay, if Koei Tecmo worked on three houses and there are rumors of an upcoming new fire emblem game, that Koei Tecmo is also like, pretty heavily involved in creating you would hope that some of this stuff would carry over and i think that that would be exhilarating i think it is also worth kind of going into some of the other stuff that this game takes from three houses and and why i think it's such a perfect marriage of these two kinds of games because i i think you put it brilliantly early on just this idea of bringing up the map and being able to like throw your units around is wonderful <laughs> just from the perspective of like knowing the weapon triangle also it's like very visually apparent who is going to do well against other units you know for me if i'm like grabbing to do who is an axe wielder and i want him to go attack a guy i can see from the top level like will this be good or bad there's just like an arrow pointing up or down when you hover over the enemy that you want them to attack so you know already and then it also has the classic fire emblem like what is their percentage chance of winning this battle as well which is really cool obviously in a strategy game like fire emblem like a mainline fire emblem game but it's much more interesting when you get to actually see it like when you actually get to witness that play out i do feel like this game actually does in some ways kind of fill in a lot of those blanks that you're trying to fill in mentally um you, you know you're trying to use your like imagination to fill in some of those blanks because in a lot of cases like especially in three houses when you're fighting when units are fighting one another like they're just kind of doing an animation you know but the 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 two character models are never actually like interacting for real for real that used to be much more prevalent in like the earlier games that were pixel art like they could do that kind of stuff because it was a lot less uh intensive graphically um but in three houses you know there's kind of the separation between the character attacking and the character defending it's so cool to be able to actually see it play out in real time and the ability to just switch to those characters whenever is also really fascinating. I really love the experience of like pausing the game, looking at this map, throwing my units all over the place, and then, you know, saying, I'm going to play as this person because this seems like the most pertinent, most interesting thing right now. And then immediately, as soon as that objective is done, switch to whoever seems the most interesting after that. And you're just constantly playing this game of like, I'm going to have fun at all costs, no matter what is happening. Like you can always be doing the most interesting thing because you can constantly be sending your units wherever. On top of that, it 
brings in the three houses like there are support dialogue scenes if people are working together you know there is like a base camp that you're hanging out at and like using that time to talk to the units in your party you know build up those support dialogues also there's like training montages there are other things you can use to like build up the base camp and like make the services that the base camp provides even better i love that yeah it's really cool Uh, it's it's kind of the game's approach at professor level yes exactly that's what i was getting to yeah but yeah the ability to like upgrade certain facilities is a really nice touch yeah. So it, it takes this idea of being a professor at Garrick Mock where you had these like, you know, professor points, quote unquote, that you could put into, you know, I'm going to take this character out for tea or I'm going to, you know, make food with these characters and we're all going to eat lunch together and things like that. It takes that approach to like actual fucking wartime. Like it actually uh, uses those same systems to kind of like narratively blend what you would do in a Warriors game with what you did in Fire Emblem Three Houses uh, really brilliantly. It's worth also mentioning that this protagonist, who I think we're going to probably talk about a lot, Shez, the, the purple-haired protagonist, they are not a professor in this game. They are a student alongside the other students. So when you have to make your choice of, like, which house are you going to join, you're joining as a student, to be clear. You're not joining as a professor. So it wouldn't really make sense for you to be, like, you know, overseeing the training of these people, generally speaking. You're just kind of training alongside them. You know, it's, it's, it's more of like a, hey, I'm down in the shit with you, which is really fun. It's a really fun twist on this game because I was expecting a very similar thing to Fire Emblem Three Houses where we were going to be kind of like, you know, oh, we're the top level strategist like above everybody else. And that's not really the case. You're just way stronger than everybody for reasons that nobody can quite understand. <laughs> including so Shez. Including yeah. Shez. So they're just like, yeah, I don't know. Bring bring this person along. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Yeah, we'll train together, but like put them on the battlefield. And it always feels so silly whenever I do battles and I don't bring Shez in because I'm just like, they're like so clearly the strong and so clearly the most fun to play as usually at least early on yeah. yeah yeah but every once in a while you know you need to throw in all the units that haven't leveled up in a while which is also fun i really do also appreciate that you know you you can just spend straight up money not not real like dollars but like money that you're getting in the game to be clear no no in-app purchases or whatever but you can just straight up spend money to like buy levels for characters if you want to um i think i think the deal is like they can only go as high as your top level character but i do enjoy the experience of like running into a battle with a bunch of units that i haven't used in a long time or have never used and learning how they play so like like you i was most interested in sword fighters and axes pretty early on and then got very into archers and mages just because i hadn't used them enough so i needed to start putting them in battle and man they can be destructive they can be so fun they just like wipe out like huge groups of people with these like really fun spells the approach at archers is really interesting because my first time playing you know the one of the first missions you have all three lords yes and I, I played as Claude and like an enemy was like right in his face and I couldn't really get an opening. And it, it was like kind of like awkward. And I'm like, I don't know how bows play in this game. Then later, when I actually had like distance between us, he can group like hordes of enemies together and just keep them in the air. Mm. So then I'm like, of course, he wouldn't be good up close. He's an archer. Like, yes. why did I assume that? You know, so like it is a, yet another example of like the game kind of making a fully realized experience out of like a strategic idea right. in the tactics game. Yeah. Where like, you know, archers can't attack point blank unless you have a certain ability. Yeah. So I, that, that was kind of a brilliant moment. All that to say, 
I do feel like of all of the franchises I've seen blended with the Musou, like warrior style game, this is the one that benefits the most from that marriage of the two. I agree. This yeah. really does feel almost more natural than anything else. It almost feels like it should just be the kind of the default for how these work. And it is, you did bring up earlier, but like, you know, this experience of taking uh, another unit that's in your party and sending them somewhere else, like that's not new. It just feels better because of the fire emblem of it all. It feels better because of the weapon triangle, because of this percentage chance of will they won't they win their fight there's also like just great shit that i think is just really wonderful from like a quality of life perspective like the ability to take a unit and assign them to like guard another unit so like okay you know okay uh do is gonna go fight this person and they maybe have like a 30 percent chance of losing but if i can take dimitri and send him to guard to do in this case which first of all great role reversal yes but also you know have the two of them go up together and i can just like focus on you know the right side of the the map and have to do and dimitri i can just keep giving them orders to like like two man team their way through the entire left side of the map as well we can accomplish twice as much simultaneously which is so fun and so rewarding it feels great when it works out yeah and all all of that is really just kind of helped by the fact that like it runs well and like feels yeah. natural on the switch and is good um so i i think like just overall mechanically before we've even gotten into like story stuff which i don't think we want to get super into for like spoiler reasons but we definitely have to touch on it because it's wild but like just mechanically this game is like firing on all cylinders and is significantly better than i was expecting like i i thought this was going to be like fun but i would probably put it down kind of like persona 5 strikers uh eventually you know at a certain point i would kind of fade out of it and that is not the case really at all and i think that i think that is in large part due to how well it's working mechanically and then there is also the alternate universe wonderful three houses continuation side of it (laughs) So let me be clear. I I think that this game, obviously, we both like a lot. And I think that there's a lot here that just works like independent from, you know, like I think we're talking a lot about how like there's a cohesion here between the warrior style and the Fire Emblem style. Um, So I think that like, you know, even if you are someone who has never played Three Houses, I think if you're a fan of this style of game, you will enjoy it mechanically. Narratively, I think you really need to have played Three Houses. Absolutely. I think if you haven't played Three Houses and you start with this, it will feel like you walked into the wrong family reunion. Like, what, <laughs> who, like why do I? Because the game doesn't care at all about pacing. Like, no. it gives zero shits about that. It's like, and I actually respect that because I think I was sort of expecting it to follow a lot of the same beats. Yeah. It's very, without spoiling, it's very quickly broadcasted that this is a, I don't, I don't know how or why, but this is a separate universe in some yes. way or at least like a reflection of it um that's pretty clear in the marketing you know byleth the protagonist of three houses is sort of positioned as like a mysterious antagonist for some reason yeah uh this time we're playing as shez who is in some ways like i mean their hair is is the complementary color of byleths they also have mm-hmm. like a weird ghost in their head who talks like this and i love them so much because like <laughs> dude welcome to space you know <laughs> it, we, we have another episode in the works about Three Hopes, and I feel like that will be just fully like Rocky Horror energy. Yeah, um, we're planning on talking I, about it a lot when the full game is out, to be clear. Yeah, I, I keep calling this game our Rocky Horror because I feel like I've played it so many times and like know it so well that like I don't even think of it as a game anymore. It's just like someone I know, you know, so like <laughs> there's a little bit of that going on here. That being said, I do think that going back to sort of the pacing, I think Three Hopes 
I respect that they just cut right to what's unique. Like mm-hmm. they don't bother like going through like, oh, like here's, you know, this mission again. Oh, rescue Flane. Like we're done. We already did that. We're just going to cut right. Like this is not spoiling much. There's a big time skip in three houses that, you know, there's a part one that is like largely in the academy. Then five years pass and it's like the second part of the game. In Three Hopes, they had advertised what they keep calling a mid skip. Like every every character has like so silly a mid skip design. So a lot of them are just like them figuring out what to do with their hair. Like yeah, S tier design is Bernadetta with the front ponytail. It's like the funniest thing. That's also somehow like incredible for her. I love it because I think I think some of the some of the time skips like I think some of the characters lost a bit of their character in their like aesthetic. Mm. So I like that some of the mid skip designs like keep like Bernadetta still has that messy hair. It's like kind of part of her character i think yeah. but that aside it cuts right to it like you do like one or two missions and then you're right in the mid skip and it's already like a very different timeline you know there's some familiar beats but like it's already focusing on different things right. and i'm just really excited i think that's a cool way to approach this because i think that like the big question post three houses was like how the hell are they going to follow this for one because like right. well i think that past fire implementaries like we we have a whole bonus about fire emblem awakening with our good friend alana Oaken. Speaking of Rocky Horror, that is like the most like unhinged I think we've ever been in a bonus. <laughs> uh, but um felt so good to finally play that game. Yeah, in that episode we talk a lot about how like there's a noticeable like quality difference between sort of the map design of, of mm-hmm. Awakening and older Fire Emblem games than with Three Houses. Like a lot of the maps of Three Houses are just like big. So yeah. you need to like have a horse to get around. Yeah. That's not going to be something that you really think about when you're playing it. Cause you're going to be so wrapped up in like how much you care about the characters and, and all that. So like be like, um, the map design is uncreative, but like alongside past entries, like there's obviously room for improvement, but I think like as a total package, that game was doing something narratively that no other Fire Emblem game had done before. Yeah. And I think it was really exploring kind of age old mechanics for the series in a way that gave them a lot of narrative weight. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the support scenes, especially like every Fire Emblem character has always had like a gimmick and Three Houses was really the first game to explore like, well, why is this character always nervous? And is that something they can overcome? Why mm-hmm. is this character, you know, always this way? And there, there was a deeper side to everybody, except for Raphael, who's just like, you know, just his vibe. <laughs> He's just the same guy. Even Raphael has like something to work on with other people and his relationships with other people. And like, yeah, his backstory is also very interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's similar in some ways, like when you're in like school and you kind of have these surface level impressions of other people. And like, um, I think without saying too much, because we have already said a lot about Three Houses, um, <laughs> that game is largely about like, how do you distance yourself from other people when you're told they're the enemy? You know, mm-hmm. like that game opens very strongly with like one of the first missions is, is you suppressing a rebellion and everyone in the game is like, that sucked. Like, yeah, those were not thieves. That was like an army of people who thought they were the good guys. Yeah. And that that theme is explored like deeper and deeper as the game goes on. Like there's a there's a wild dragons in the sky plot as well. But that's really in the background to like this very personal drama of like growing up and that distance between, you know, you and other people. And like, where will you be with or without the guidance of the people in your life? You mm-hmm. know, that, yeah, that is really the heart of the game. This is not that this is like I can't 
can't wait to go out there and summon tornadoes in the middle of a war. There is a little there is a little bit of that in this game because I, I feel yeah. like the the central conceit of three houses is like, okay, I'm playing as Byleth, I'm playing as this professor, and you know, there is there is obviously a lot of that personal drama that all these people are going through, but the core of the game mechanically is how do I help them through it as their professor? You know, how how am I a good influence in these people's lives? And the more you invest in getting, you know, their support grade up and starting to have those conversations and leading people through those conversations with one another, they all do grow. Every single character in that game in all three houses and beyond, even the people that, you know, aren't part of the three houses, but are kind of like in the periphery of Garrick Mach, they all have arcs. They all have a point A and a point B, yeah, yeah, which is remarkable. And they'll explore those arcs depending on if you're the one talking to them or if it's like I put these two characters together because I think they bounce off each other really well. And eventually their support dialogues also got to the point where they made it through their arcs. Like there's it's really incredible how well they they play that out. The interesting thing about Three Hopes so far, and maybe even partially part of the part of the the title choice in a way, is maybe there is a way that this could have gone differently. And I don't want to say too much about what Three Houses plot is because you should play it if you haven't. Obviously, it was our game of the year, obviously, uh, that year. But there is maybe a world in which things went better than they did in Three Houses. Uh, and I feel like this game is trying to explore like, OK, what is the life of these characters like without the influence of Byleth, is that helpful or is that worse in some instances? What if we just threw this random person in also? What if we just threw Shez in here who also has a, a weird god in their head? Maybe that'll be helpful in some way. And it just seems to be exploring this like, okay, so you spent all of this time trying to influence these people. What if you took a backseat to it and just kind of lived alongside them? Yeah, that's and a great I, point. Yeah. I don't know how well that's going to work out. I I feel like it's kind of maybe doomed regardless but i am actually like surprisingly very interested in what this game is doing narratively oh me too yeah it's, I, my my thing about summoning tornadoes is more just like the approach at war than the oh yeah totally itself. Like, yes you know, everyone's like pumped to kill people in this game well uh, but i do wait till you play the blue lions story okay well golden deer is a little different because what i will say without spoiling too much is that in golden deer basically like a lot of things that are implied or never shown on screen in a lot of three houses are like getting their screen time in three hopes cool um so golden yeah. deer there's a lot of stuff that's implied about claude's like family and his connection to right like other countries in the world and so far this story seems to be interested in that mm-hmm. and i think you're right to focus on like Shez being like a colleague as opposed to a mentor yeah because even with like i actually really like the way Shez and claude play off each other mm. um because they're both he's like you know you you and me were both outsiders. Like, do you want to come with me to like, be like my, my like right hand person on the council of Lester? Yeah. They seem like they'd be buds. And they're both just sort of like very, uh, laissez faire about being kind of in charge. Um, (laughs) but they're also trying to figure out the best way to approach things and like giving advice is an equal. And also a big thing with Shez is that they are a voiced protagonist. So mm-hmm. we're actually getting a bit of a Commander Shepard scenario here where they are like a fully scripted, fully realized character that we actually have a surprising amount of control over the dialogue. Like I've noticed that in a lot of supports too, I'll be given a dialogue choice that doesn't feel meaningless. I'm like, these are two very different responses. Yes. That like, and I think what's so funny about having a character with a voice is Shez will just immediately like cut right to a person's core and like support rank C that takes like, <laughs> 
like seven years for Bylet to get by saying nothing. You know, like Lorenz showed up to me and, and Shez is like, I think you're like kind of a douche, but like you're nice deep down. It's like, why are you even trying to do this? Like cut it out with this like other stuff. I'm like, that's like you just did like the whole game's arc of Lorenz in like a sentence. <laughs> And I also think Shez is like Byleth is a mercenary. And there's sort of this like almost like cloud strife. I'm only here for the money attitude. Mm. Not quite as obnoxious, but there is sort of like I think Shez as a protagonist is often questioning like why they have the powers they do, what their place is with this house. Why were they so quickly admitted to this school mm-hmm. of that of like mostly nobles? And I think like. It's interesting to compare it to Byleth because Byleth was a silent protagonist. That's a fairly common thing with with RPGs to kind of be a player surrogate. Yeah. But they were also silent at, for narrative reasons, <laughs> which I won't get into. But like mm-hmm. they were a blank slate in multiple ways. Yeah. Which I think was really interesting. And here, like, I do think that Fire Emblem has also had a very interesting relationship with player characters because like. In Awakening, for example, we play as Robin, who is like the tactician, but they also have their own story going on. We yeah. don't really have any control over who they are. In Fates, we're Corin, who's like even more of like, they are the lead. They are their own character. Mm-hmm. The only choice we have is which game we bought. <laughs> and then we have stuff like Fire Emblem for the Game Boy Advance, where you are like an off-screen person that every now and then the sprites will turn and look yeah, like they'll look at the gasp camera every time. Yeah. The nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What do you think, Steven? Ah! Um, but uh, <laughs> here, Shez is like that that Commander Shepard middle ground where I feel like I do actually have a little bit of influence over like how they act. Mm. But I also have a very strong idea of who they are as a character. I'm amazed at how much I like them because I was kind of expecting them to be like, who's Shez? Like, why are they being yeah. forced into the story? And I think that they are, they're like an incredible lead. I really think they're like a really, they're well, I mean, you know, the voice acting across the board is really good. And I think that they have a lot of like rightful questions that aren't just like why am i here but like actually like interrogating what's happening in a meaningful way yeah i uh i don't want to say too much because i foresee a situation in which you end up playing all three of these and i also don't want to give up (laughs) too much of the thing but i will say that the blue lion story gives me a little bit of a different read on Chez, which I actually think is very interesting. It makes me wonder what's going on in the Black Eagles vibe then, um, because at least in the Blue Lions, um, that story kind of takes a turn with Dimitri becoming king like a little bit earlier than he's supposed to. And because of that, you are very much his like right hand man when it comes to the just like leading of mercenary groups and armies around the new Holy Kingdom of Fargus. So you actually very quickly become like a high ranking military official in the Kingdom of Fargus. And Shez reacts as such like Shez's dialogue. You can tell that they've changed a little bit as a person. They definitely still have a little bit of that, like kind of like not quite a noble, definitely grew up as a mercenary energy. But my read of the character is definitely a little bit different than yours is. Uh, and and that seems to be intentional. I mean, based on what you're saying, I'm actually kind of surprised to hear that that's the case in Golden Deer. That, that means that this game is significantly deeper than I was expecting. Yeah, because you're kind of Claude's right hand man, but you don't have an official title. And there's even a point where she has, she's like, hey, like you invited me here because there would be mercenary work. And I'm just sort of like sitting in like your courtroom all day. Like, should I move somewhere else? Like what's going on? That's so interesting. Yeah. There's also some some new characters they add that's kind of interesting i don't have anyone new so far in golden deer but like they've hinted that some characters that were not playable in three houses might be joining the team at some point and also uh shamir joined my team i'm not sure if she joins blue lions but oh no she's from three houses but uh yeah she she showed up a few missions in um which was cool so yeah 
there seems to be even like more differences right away because three houses like the second half of the game is wildly different but the first half is largely the same you're getting a different flavor but you're going through the same beats with each house it's just a matter of like the dialogue in between yeah i i will say uh just kind of going back to mechanics a little bit but specifically for people who played three houses and are kind of maybe iffy about the idea of picking this game up first of all this demo is lengthy this demo is the first four chapters of the game you said it took you about six hours i'm probably four hours in and on the end of chapter and it carries over into the full game worth noting yeah i think i'm on the end of chapter two maybe the beginning of chapter three somewhere in that vicinity so it's as usual taking me a little bit longer to play through the stuff but (laughs) whoops uh that having been said i i will say that if you're a person who played three houses and are iffy about the warrior style combat they give you some pretty extensive difficulty options right at the top they give you three choices that you can make in terms of how hard the game is going to be i on like truly just went easiest on all of those choices uh because i am not that interested in the warriors combat from like a strategic perspective like i'm interested in it from a like this is going to be fun and silly and i'm going to be to do and like swing a huge axe or i'm going to be i don't know i'm going to be dimitri and like throw my you know uh super holy spear from the heavens down into the ground and watch it explode explode that seems very fun and silly i'm i'm more interested in what the game is doing narratively and i i don't want anything to kind of hold me back from that so that's my one recommendation i was actually talking to alana about this because she you know obviously big three houses fan she has joined us more than once to talk about fire emblem on the show she was really bumping up against the warrior stuff um because she had chosen to do it like normal mode with you know uh permadeath on etc etc and has since gone back and chosen to do easy mode on everything and is having a much better time so that's my one recommendation if you're like iffy about it again this demo is lengthy and free so like try everything like see what is the best for you obviously but that's how i am enjoying the game most at the moment uh so just wanted to shout that out I have it on normal with permadeath on and permadeath doesn't kick in until after chapter four. Right. Which is interesting. After but I'm like demo. just curious. Yeah. yeah. How that will affect the drama of a match. Like the urgency in which you have to get to a certain place. I just I kind of want to experience that. At least <laughs> Eventually once. just going to be oops all Shez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shez and Lorenz. Uh, but uh so far, normal hasn't oh been too God. bad. I, f- I feel like there's always like a stressful moment, but nor- but yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of, of both three games, I guess is the new name, uh, but three houses and three hopes like they let you play at any angle you want. So yeah. like, you know, I also think that uh, you could theoretically play the first chapter or the first four chapters of every house on the demo. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about doing that, but I'm actually going to wait for the full game because I also have noticed that there is Renown, which is like the new game plus currency. So I imagine there oh. will be a new game plus scenario here and I'd rather just like do it then than, yeah. than start from scratch three times. Yeah, I am enjoying the Blue Lions stuff. Um, but I am really curious about the other one. So I, I could see myself just like starting and playing like the first, like maybe chapter of each and just seeing which one I want to continue with. But at the moment, the blue lions are treating me very well. Uh, it's a very interesting story. It's definitely, I'll say this, you know, again, coming from the perspective of like, if you haven't played three houses, you should definitely do that first. I will say that the blue lion story is much denser politically than I was expecting. It feels a little bit, and don't take this super the wrong way, but it feels a little Phantom menace in terms of like... <laughs> I wasn't expecting so much of this to be about, like, you know, a trade route. <laughs> I can't wait to see Dudu to stoically go, now this is pod racing to the camera after he wins. But that having been said, I mean, it's still engaging and it's still interesting. And I just love these characters so much that I will do anything to continue hanging out with them uh, is kind of where I'm at. 
So there's such a strong cast here that like this could theoretically be its own series at this point. Not that you have to yeah. like milk everything for for a million <laughs> games, but like you see this a lot with like you know Final Fantasy especially. Like Seven, I would argue is like its own series. At it's this its own point, franchise. The yeah. Spinoffs. Yeah, and I feel like Three Houses. Like I just would love to see these characters in different scenarios that's kind of enough almost so i'm glad Space. like sp- <laughs> three planets sign me oh, up man shit. i'm so into that i would be so into that i might write it like tonight whatever coming soon to ao3 yeah but anyway yeah I, I think that like if you my my thing is like if you liked three houses you will probably love this and i i do think there are a lot of people that loved three houses despite it being a tactics game so this will actually be a very similar scenario i think Hmm. that like in some ways this combat while a little bit obtuse is like kind of an easier sell than the tactics side of it so like you know especially if you're playing on easy like it's kind of just like running around and button mashing so like if you enjoyed the sort of narrative and like life sim half of three houses there's enough of that here that I think you'll be very happy because that was one thing about Persona 5 Strikers that like it had the like delivery of a Persona plot but didn't have the the daily life sim part of it so yes. like if that game had that I think it would be on the same level as like the rest of the series but it didn't so like you were only getting the combat and story right. which felt kind of incomplete but here we're getting you know everything we're getting like in fact in some ways we're getting more in the camp <laughs> than we did at Garrick Mock so yeah it's not too dissimilar from our conversation in the Pokemon Red and Blue book which is out now <gasps> about the differences between red and blue fire red leaf green and let's go pikachu and eevee where let's go pikachu and eevee has a lot more like mechanic diversity so it feels less like you're doing the same thing throughout the entirety of that campaign which actually makes it go a little bit faster i think for some people me definitely this very much feels the same way this i i do really appreciate this experience of like i'm going to sit down and do some support dialogues or i'm going to do some training or i'm going to run around the base camp and talk to everybody or i'm going to go into a battle um or i'm going to redo a battle you know just so i can level some people up or you know try and do this side mission that i didn't do the first time like there's so much choice available at any given moment where even in three houses it was very regimented it was very much like this is the life sim phase this is the combat phase now you're moving on story wise this has a little bit more of like a flow and a give and take between all of it like you can kind of make your decisions at will which is really nice i mean it feels it feels like a quality of life improvement because it's it's up to you when you take on the main mission like you know you kind of see it almost reminds me of um, Dragon Age Inquisition where you have like a war room yeah. where you see like icons on a map and like there are a million things to do like you have like your base camp and like there's also like random events that will happen where you like select a town you save and they'll give you stuff right so like it, it almost has that kind of monster hunter loop where it's like you're going to do a match going back to the camp improving things leveling up then going out again mm-hmm. so and I think the way they handle like activity points is like you're rewarded points for completing certain missions yeah so like it's really well done i I'm, I'm totally with you where it's like way better than i expected and i i'm a big enough fan that it, it could have been like actively bad and i probably still would have enjoyed a part of it yeah you know and the fact that it's like remarkable is is pretty amazing i'm so excited to see the full game yeah this is not even like the best case scenario that was in my head this is like a scenario i didn't even plan for which is that it's like <laughs> great (laughs) yeah you know and i'm fully prepared for this story to go off the rails but i kind of don't even care because i think that like that's where i'm at too i I do sort of trust where it's going as well because there's enough intrigue and there's enough like being given to the characters independent of like shez's role in the story that i'm enjoying all of that so yeah expect more conversation when the full game is out yeah and uh inevitably i will have finished it in a week so 
<laughs> soon. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to be a bonus or not. Right now, our plan is when the game comes out, we're going to, I think, take a week and then we have some guests that we've talked to you about coming on. Uh, some guests, plural, for an episode. That'll be a whole conversation about that. So look forward to that when the game comes out in like two yeah. weeks or something. I feel like that will be end up being like a pseudo bonus in some ways, because like I think that month is the DS episode. Yeah. So we'll probably not have like a traditional bonus that month. But either way, we'll we will talk about it more. Yeah. Uh, very excited. Should we take a break after all of these hopes that we've had and then come back <laughs> and talk about more video games? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. Let's do it. Cool. All right. I will talk to you later, Stephen, and I will talk to you pretty immediately, dear listener. See you soon. Goodbye. What if I just called you immediately? Like, dear listener. (laughs) Bye. See ya. First, Brendan, there were street sharks. (laughs) And then there was extreme dinosaurs. (laughs) And then, you guessed it, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's Revenge. Yeah. Definitely in that order. Yeah. It's dev- <laughs> so we we have played it at this point. We did co-op online. It, we're going to talk about the game in a bit. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. But as we were playing it, I think we both shared that like as a generation, we like narrowly neo dodged turtles being like a big thing in our life. Yeah. Because I feel like this is something that you and I could have easily gotten very into. But being born 90 and 92, we just got Street Sharks. So that was the meal we were given. Yeah, we just got like then, the like, weird knockoff. <laughs> five, like if we were born like a year before or five years later, we would have been super into it. But we got the Waluigi version of this. Yeah, yeah. Very much like the the Pepsi to Coca-Cola kind of energy. Yeah, maybe even the Surge in some ways. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yes, the squirt grape cola. Yeah. That um, being said, I do have a strong memory and fondness for that classic ninja turtles arcade game that everyone played yeah there was an arcade pretty close to where you and i grew up i don't know if you went to the same one that i went to i think it was called sports world was the name oh of my it? god yeah oh i've wow you just unlocked like a whole memory in my brain of yeah sports world it yeah. definitely doesn't exist anymore it doesn't. uh but that having been said, they did have a sick arcade in there. So like the whole idea was that it was like indoor batting cages and I think like a tennis court. And there were stuff. like rides and stuff. Yeah. yeah, they had like little rides and things. Uh, but they also had like an absolutely bananas arcade that absolutely ruled and it had like all the latest shit. But specifically, I do remember going there and playing. That was like my big foray into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game and the like classic X-Men arcade game that everybody yeah. always uh, talks about. The Simpsons one was good, too. It was those three yes. were like you were actually just wait in a line to play them my big arcade experience was actually in in the jersey shore there are a lot of arcades Mm -hmm. that are still there on the boardwalk that like that was so cool i love a good jersey shore arcade yeah Uh, at least i did but that uh that teenage mutant ninja turtles arcade game and the x-men arcade game i feel like we're always like vying for supremacy like those were the two that i always remember like bouncing back and forth between i just loved them so much i was a big yeah. x-men fan when i was a kid uh because they were like Me too. big in like x-men animated series like rerun and also just like still producing that show mode um when i was really young so that was like my kind of intro to x-men and to have Who'd an arcade you play game. as nightcrawler always i liked colossus of course because yeah, he went colossus like yeah, everyone else the whole screen the just flashes red yeah <laughs> and people are like you're wasting it like, i don't even know what this move does he's just screaming i'm six <laughs> yeah <laughs> excuse me i'm six yeah 
The last time I played the Ninja Turtles game in, in an arcade was actually in one of the uh, one of the bar arcades in Chicago. Mm. And there were two guys like also at the thing and, and they were like, So who are you gonna play as? And I was like in front of Leonardo. So I was like, I guess I'll be Leonardo. And he's like, Okay, I'll let you be the leader. Like I that like still haunts me to this oh day. Oh my god, what a horrifying thing to say. This is so weird. Yeah. But um that game was sick and <laughs> and <laughs> what a that, weird energy to bring to an arcade. Right? I'll let you be the leader. I mean, that was like... That is very, like, 1989 energy for some reason. When you go to a bar arcade, like, most people there are primarily there for the bar, I would guess. Like, it's like a fun novelty bar experience. But then every now and then you get, like... If you're there on like a Thursday, you get the arcade crowd and they're there to win. You know, <laughs> like I remember, I think the same night I went to play Mortal Kombat. I was just getting my ass kicked in various places that night. Yeah. But I went to Mortal Kombat, I think the second one. And this guy, I remember he like just a blur of victory. I was, I think Jackson, he was Katana. And then like he had like a crowd behind him. So I think he must have been like a, you know local celebrity and he just like <laughs> did like a few motions of his hand and then did like a fatality like he had it so memorized that it was like Floop! and then he just did it oh my uh, god so a lot of mixed emotions in the arcades but yeah that turtles game was sick <laughs> and this i'm trying to like dig away from this horrible memory yeah uh, i feel like we're like two steps removed from like billy donkey kong mitchell showing up <laughs> <laughs> In this story somehow. (laughs) This game, Shredder's Revenge, is very much a like spiritual follow-up to I think Turtles in Time was the name of that arcade game. Yes. And it's incredible. So this is made by the people who made the Scott Pilgrim game back in the day. I think it's it's a whole like team that split off from Ubisoft to like make games kind of like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is their latest game. And it's so much fun. I, I will say that like I kind of had a passing interest in this uh, Shredder's Revenge. Like I really like the Scott Pilgrim game. But like, you know, I, I played it somewhat recently and like it's really like beautiful. Like the animations are great. And like Brian Lee O'Malley's art style is yeah. really cool to see in like a video game format. The Anamanaguchi soundtrack is like really off the charts. Incredible. It's like maybe yeah. one of their best albums yeah and but the game itself was like kind of fun like especially if you're playing solo it's like whatever and then even with friends like the first level is like 40 minutes long like, it just takes a little <laughs> bit too long and it's also like arbitrarily difficult in some ways like I, th- yeah. I feel like the thing with a lot of these games is like they were kind of designed to eat quarters so like if you <laughs> apply that same difficulty to just a game you have on switch it's like why is this so difficult <laughs> and like yeah. a way it's like not fun yeah i had a weirdly similar relationship with that game it came out uh, i guess i was like 2010 and it was my my freshman yeah. year of college uh my roommate was a video game major and also you know big comic book guy so the two of us came in with like you know big like oh we've read the scott pilgrim comics energy you know <laughs> um so when that game came out we were like really stoked about it um and yeah. would frequently bring my xbox out into the common room and then we would just like find other people to you know so we could have like a full like four squad making our way through that game and i remember loving it loving it like unlocking everything you know the same way you do when you're in college and you can do that and you have that kind of time and i was really excited for the re-release on switch and modern consoles i I was just like pretty stoked about that and uh it kind of had a similar experience with you or like didn't really hold up as well for me it felt a lot clunkier than i remember it being i I remember it feeling a lot tighter and and i didn't really have that experience this time around so i was like you kind of like interested but like not really stoked for this game you know i I, because as we already mentioned we don't really have that like teenage mutant and turtles affinity um outside of the arcade game and also 
also knowing what developer this was coming from, I was like, is it going to feel like that? Um, and I feel like within maybe seconds of you and I picking up and playing this game online, which first of all, the best online experience you can have on the Nintendo Switch. It's like, it's, incredible. it's amazing. It yeah. feels like it feels like an Xbox or like a PlayStation or something. It's like I sent you a request to join the game and you just did. And it was very easy. Yeah, I saw an weird. icon that I didn't even know I could get on the Switch where it was like someone <laughs> invited you to a party. I'm like, what system is this? Is this connected to the Internet or something? Uh, and it was seamless. And and there was like I am I imagine there's some kind of rollback net code here in some capacity because like we had like almost no lag the only thing we had was that we had to like restart a level once but that might have even just been like a day one glitch over like yeah connection yeah you exactly know, very little interference yeah but as soon as we started playing i think both of us were like oh my god this is amazing like it feels so good i'll say i'll say right off the bat like that clunkiness that i felt about scott pilgrim like is virtually non-existent in this game it feels so tight it feels exactly like playing the arcade game like really from go and actually feels almost like more joyful in a lot of ways it does i I feel like there's so much attention to detail in just like making the game like laugh out loud funny at times that i really wasn't expecting at all like i was expecting it to be like a fun experience playing online with you obviously but even playing solo after that experience and then playing couch co-op just like just so fun all like everyone is always having a good time when you're playing this game and and I'm, I'm so glad that it doesn't feel kind of like laborious in the way that scott pilgrim could at times because like if you're just trying to beat those levels it can take a long time but if you're trying to like unlock everything it really feels like it could be like a slog and replay the same thing over and over again whatever you're just like grinding for money and experience and things like that this game just makes the very smart decision of having the levels be very short uh and and you know always punctuated with like a big silly boss fight uh so pretty much every single time you sit down to play you're gonna have like a 10 to 15 minute experience of like wow that was great and you know exhilarating to fight you know a big pig who looks like he walked out of frank miller's the dark knight returns uh, <laughs> oh bebop yeah yeah <laughs> which is uh sick yeah i i also think not like i have like a passing knowledge of turtle stuff so like i know bebop and rocksteady and that's kind of where my <laughs> villain knowledge ends yeah like, i know the turtles i know april and splinter and bebop and rocksteady so anytime there's a boss it's actually like as a not fan it's thrilling to see like who the hell is the rat king and it's like oh my god he's the dude that like plays the flute and rats show up that's amazing <laughs> who's dirtbag and like chuck chuck or whatever his name was like <laughs> meat chuck and dirtbag like yeah and they're all throwing the, what's that guy's name um oh man who's the head Krang? I think yeah, it's they're Krang. all just like throwing Krang's head around like a football. Yeah. Even without knowing what's going on, it's it's so fun. And like like you said, the attention to detail is incredible. Like the, one of the first areas, you're kind of like in an office setting and all the uh, foot soldiers are or the foot like ninja clan. They are like all on their laptops, like hunched over or like when yeah. you're in the park, they'll be like lounging on the bench before you show up. And like it's interesting to see like where sort of the left to right uh beat em up games are at now because it's such an inherently retro genre again mm-hmm. like there are some great ones like i love the old streets of rage games streets of rage 4 was also surprisingly great um and i think that game did a lot to show that like you can still make this type of game now as long as there's like intentionality behind the design it's not just like please give us quarters <laughs> you play golden axe like it's still a thrilling experience to play something that kind of uh, you know it, it has a very distinct era to it like it's so classic kind of sega arcadey but like at, at a certain point you're gonna be like, okay let's play like anything else like you know like, so i'm not gonna waste <laughs> yeah. the whole night on on golden axe uh no right. offense the jurassic park light gun game is right behind us why are we yeah. playing this <laughs> 
But I think that like though though that classic three that we talked about, the Turtles in Time, X Men, and, and the Simpsons, like those games were, I think, genuinely great. I think it yeah. was like, accentuated by sort of the mythos of the arcade and like waiting in line and actually having to save up money to like get far in it. But mm-hmm. even if you were to play them independent of that, I think you would still have a good time. And this game is kind of proof of that by like making it really, really easy to pick up and play. The shorter levels are a great detail. The animations, like you get such a clear sense of character from everybody. Like we, we were playing as Michelangelo and Donatello, which felt the most kind of parallel to the two of us in some ways. Yeah. And it was just so fun. I mean, the animations of like the nunchuck moves and and they do play distinctly like you having the range of the staff and me having the speed of the nunchucks like I wouldn't say there's a lot of like strategy required, but there is like you are rewarded for understanding like openings and when to attack and like what certain characters are good at. Mm -hmm. So far, I've only played as Michelangelo and then I wanted to play a little bit solo just to see how that felt. I would say that this game definitely shines co-op, but it's still really fun and works solo. You know, it's not the kind of game that I think lives or dies by the co-op, but I think you're going to have like the intended experience with friends, whether that's online or, or couch co-op. But I played yeah. as April O'Neil solo. Cause I'm like, she feels like everyone else. I feel like taking one turtle away feels like antithetical to the series. So I'm going to play as <laughs> April. She can do her own thing and she's great. Yeah. What's her vibe? I haven't played as her yet. So she's a reporter. So like she's very fast and very like up close, kind of like Michelangelo. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of fun animations where like when she slams an enemy in the ground, she takes a quick picture of them like face first. Uh, and <laughs> Her special is swinging around like an old mic stand. And so uh, yeah, she's awesome. Like, And there's some like there's a lot of fun quips and like you know, there, there's a lot of love behind this game. Like I think that's kind of what what shines the most is like even though like we talked about, you know, three hopes. Like if you haven't played three houses, like you're going to be like, who on earth is this? Why should I care? <laughs> Jumping into this game, knowing very little about the series, I like want to know who they are. Like I'm excited to see new faces and kind of reminds me of how I felt. This is pre MC you even and you know we don't have to talk about this too much because I feel Walt's eyes opening but um <laughs> the first Marvel Ultimate Alliance on the Wii I remember yeah. like getting kind of like a crash course on just Marvel history and being so like amazed by it and like wanting mm-hmm. to learn more and I feel similar about this game where it's like, oh like who's who's the Rat King what's he up to you know yeah what's up with all these weird Battletoad knockoffs that we're <laughs> <Yeah>. unlocking <laughs> Who seem to be famous in this world. Yeah, there, there was like a very pleasant, like they all have like very like at peace expressions. There's like weird <laughs> frogmen with like, there was like an Indiana Jones one with like a fedora and a whip. It's very strange. Yeah, it was really confusing. Yeah, but it, you and I were laughing a lot while we were playing just about all the characters that we like had absolutely no context for at all that we kept unlocking or whatever. Um, <laughs> I, did, I did after that night, I spent a lot of time on Wikipedia, like learning about the history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just because like I didn't really know and still don't know a lot about them. But um, who, who's that guy? Chuck? Chuck Jones? I, I don't know. Who is he? Who, no, who's the, who's the character that you oh, unlock Casey at the end? Jones. Casey Sorry, Jones. Sorry, Casey Jones. Yeah, yeah I still yeah. like don't know who that is, uh, even though that was like... <laughs> That was like the, you know, Joker from Persona 5 is getting added to Smash Brothers moment of this game was like, we're adding Casey Jones. And I was like, OK, but when does the game come out? It's so funny because I remember yeah. we were playing and you, you said like, you, you're like, is he from Ninja Turtles? And I think that like <laughs> we're so used to guest characters being cameos from other series that like yes. the idea of an unlockable character just being like a well-liked character from this <laughs> world is like, oh, wow, that's pretty novel. Yeah, this that's not Mario. So not, yeah. <laughs> 
there is a lot of crossover with Ninja Turtles. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like something here like that. But I, I'm excited yeah. to see like what other characters there are. So far, it's the four turtles and uh, April Splinter, and then Casey Jones once he beat it. I think. Yeah, I would bet anything that they're going to add a bunch of DLC to this game. Like it, I'm sure it feels will, like yeah. it's such a runaway success immediately. I just see so many people talking about how great it is. Also, immediately on Game Pass, which is worth mentioning. So like, you know, for people who have Xboxes or access to Game Pass or xCloud or whatever, like you're gonna have a really good time there. I mean, with all of that, it just feels like it's going to be a very successful video game because like on top of all of that, it's good, uh, yeah. you know, it, <laughs> uh, which is really nice. So I, I would bet anything there's going to be like wild amounts of DLC, like a bunch of extra levels, maybe characters and stuff like that. I hope they had Batman. That would make me so happy because the <laughs> Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover is like the most I've ever really engaged with the Ninja Turtles. And it is pretty wild. Uh, anytime those two franchises cross over, it's pretty fun. I'm pretty sure that they, the turtles are in Injustice, so it wouldn't be too yes. big of a leap. So that'd be, yeah. that'd be fun. Although Nickelodeon, I think, owns the Turtles now. So like kind of un, unhooked from the Warner Brothers of it all at this point. So I don't know. Maybe that means like Cosmo and Wanda or something <laughs> going to show up. I would be open to like, I wonder if they would have like different designs of the Turtles because there have been so many different artists that have worked on them over the years. Yeah. So that could be kind of fun to get like a Yonan Vasquez take on them or whatever. <laughs> yes, which does look very cool. Very into it. It's great. Yeah, I'd highly recommend picking it up out on Switch. As I was mentioning earlier in this episode, just like an absolutely wild week for the Nintendo Switch. Um, pretty much two weeks also if we're also counting the week that we were off because that includes three hopes. Yeah. But uh, before we keep talking about Switch stuff, can I hit you with uh, some other quick hit recommendations? Please do. So just, you know, because I've been away for a little bit, uh, I, I brought obviously like my DS and uh, my iNode with me while I was on vacation. But, you know, you spend a lot of time in Walter's Disney World standing on lines <laughs> and doing stuff. Uh, so I've been playing a lot of mobile games recently, uh, and I just wanted to shout out three very quickly. Please do. Two of which were recommended to me uh, recently. One of them was from the Discord. Uh, it's a game called Chickie's Chase. The spelling of this will be in the in the description but it is a side it's a free-to-play side scroller um just kind of like auto runner game where you play as uh, one of a few characters i don't want to say how many for spoiler reasons but you play as one of a few characters and it's just like honestly it feels kind of almost like super crate box levels of like oh my god you figured out like the most just perfect controls for this because the whole way it works is you're constantly running from left to right you press uh, on the left side of the screen to jump and you press on the right side of the screen to uh, shoot or attack, depending on what character you're playing as. And the whole thing is just see how far you can get. And they just continue to throw uh, different enemies at you and different obstacles at you. Um, and you're just trying to like unlock as much as you possibly can, uh, including characters. And uh, that's kind of all I want to say about it, because I think it really fares a lot better if you just pick up and play it and it's free. So like there's no reason not to. If you want to, you can, uh, I think, pay four dollars to just like unlock everything in the game uh which is pretty nice um which i did pretty quickly because it's really fun uh so nice. would definitely recommend chickie's chase it's a game that i uh thought i was gonna like play and be like oh this is nice and then put down and probably never talk about on the show but i have been playing so much of it i'm like fully in score chase mode on this game <laughs> which oh, yeah. is really good and another game that just got recommended to me yesterday from our friend kyle uh speaking of teenage mutant ninja turtles a game that was announced at the netflix i think it was called geeked week geeked week I think another Jeff Keighley hosted event, uh, I think immediately after Summer Games Fest. But this is a uh, it's worth mentioning if you don't know this, because I think a lot of people don't. Netflix has games like Netflix, like releases video games uh, on mobile 
generally. And the whole deal is that they're free to download, but you have to have a Netflix account to play them. I think probably because of the fact that Netflix is like really having a hard time right now as a company. They're like not doing very well, uh, probably trying to diversify their investments in some way, shape or form, try and get into games, etc. I do remember a kind of back and forth where like Xbox was very much trying to get Game Pass as like a thing you could download on the App Store. Uh, And Apple was very much like no. And Google was very much like no, not unless you pay us $30 fee or sorry, the 30% fee for, you know, all the subscription fees and stuff like that. But the loophole on iOS on the App Store is that you can do that if you list every single game individually. So like if they were to put, for example, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Shredder's Revenge on the App Store and you could download it, but then you needed to log into Xbox Game Pass to play it, you could do that. But also that's like a nightmare of management and operations. I can't even imagine <laughs> yeah. what that would be like. Netflix was like, absolutely, we're going to do that. We're definitely going to do that. We're just going to list all of our games individually, download them individually, sign into Netflix and you can play them. And a game that they announced at their most recent event is a game called Point P, P-O-I-N-P-Y. And the big thing for me and the reason I downloaded it, like literally the second it was announced, um, is that it's by a guy uh, named Ojiro Fumoto, who is the creator of Downwell. Oh, cool. And it's his follow up to Downwell. And Stephen, let me tell you, this is like such a fucking good game hell yeah the whole conceit of this game is uh first of all it doesn't really look a lot like downwell it's like much more cartoony much more vibrant like just more glorious and joyful i would say in presentation than downwell is which while cute also kind of had like that harsh like like two bit vibe to it um (laughs) this game is very much like you know lined beautiful cartoon drawings um and the whole thing is believe it or not Instead of going down a well, you're going up a well. Uh, so the whole vibe Finally. is you're this like little dinosaur named Point P, and there's a giant creature below you that is like desperate to eat f- and drink fruit juice. Uh, so what you need to do is use like uh, kind of almost like you're playing like a golf game on your phone. You need to like pull back and then launch yourself in a direction to make it further and further up a well. And while that's happening, the monster who is below you uh, is is craving specific kinds of fruit juices. So you need to pick up the fruits along the way. Uh, and then you have like a big hammer. And when you slam down on the ground, like if you're in the air and you tap on the screen, you'll do like a slam on the ground. You'll put all the fruits below you and then slam them into juice that the monster eats. So you're kind of balancing this like, I don't want to get hit by the enemies in this well. I need to collect the fruits that are around these enemies uh, and I need to do it fast enough while climbing this well to be able to like satiate this big uh, kind of honestly cute beast that's below me uh, or else it'll breathe fire and kill me. So you're just like making your way up this well. There are a bunch of things that you can unlock that are really fun and cool uh, that will like modify the way the game works. So like you can get attachments or like abilities that you can equip to your character. Things like, okay. Okay, sometimes fruits will spawn doubles or, you know, if you're in midair and you start to pull back, it'll like freeze time. So you have more time to kind of like figure out where you're going to launch yourself. It is... I think as soon as I downloaded it and started playing it, I was like, I don't know if this is really going to hit me the same way Downwell did. And then I found myself playing it like nonstop every time I'm on the subway, et cetera, et cetera. Like for most of the plane ride back from Florida, I was playing it. <laughs> I really, really, really like Point P. I, I like I can't speak highly enough of it. I think it's great. Um, it is, as with all of these things like Apple Arcade, definitely kind of a bummer that it's behind this paywall. Like you need to have a Netflix subscription to be able to play it. But 
you know, if you have one and or if you can borrow one from somebody, which I'm sure you can, pretty much everybody does this. Uh, yeah. You should definitely check this out. This is like the Netflix. Game. I've actually checked out a bunch of Netflix games because I've wanted to talk about like their suite of games on the show at some point, And I have found that nothing has really grabbed me enough to ever bring this up on the show before. This is the one. This is like the one to check out if you're going to check out any. They have a couple like I think they've like acquired a few studios, right? For Netflix? Did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the new Oxenfree will be a Netflix game. Oh, really? Which is interesting. I think I think Night School Studio is now like a Netflix. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will play that then also. Um, believe it or not, Netflix is maybe doing a pretty good job. There is actually another game called Relic Hunters that they released uh, like a couple months ago from I think a Brazilian studio that was also really great. Just it's like, interesting. Really like I just I wonder how this is gonna like work out for them because I feel like in some ways it's like the opposite of game pass where like game pass is like you get you get the service and you can kind of play it everywhere and this is like like it's a similar idea if you have netflix you can play these games but i just don't know if like they'll be able like i would love to see some cool stuff here obviously like from the developer's point of view but from netflix's point of view like the business side of it i just don't know if like they will be able to like acquire enough games to make this like work for them. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. This is, yeah, we could get like so into this, but my, my feeling like high level about it is that they're very much doing for games what they did very early on in Netflix as well. Or sorry, I guess like the second phase of Netflix because phase one of Netflix was very much like, we're just acquiring a bunch of content to just like have on the streaming service. This is like post DVDs, Netflix, obviously, but like, you know, when we're talking <laughs> about like the streaming service, Netflix, it was very much like, we're going to have the office. We're going to have all of star, Trek we're gonna have all this stuff because we're just like licensing it and we'll just spend the money licensing it because we'll get enough users and enough people signed up for Netflix that eventually that like balance sheet will work out and then eventually you know NBC and Paramount etc etc we're like why are we you know getting minuscule amounts of money to give you all of the office you know if that's the reason that people are subscribing to Netflix then why don't we make our own thing you know and here comes Peacock here comes Paramount Plus things like that and now all of that stuff is getting removed from Netflix you know so all of these other uh, companies can fill out their digital channels and what is Netflix left with at that point right what they're left with is just like investing in so much original content that hopefully something will hit I feel like Stranger Things was like very much the first proof of concept of that where like yeah, totally Stranger Things did not get huge buzz when it came out it was like a month or two later that people were like oh shit this is really good and then word of mouth grew so much that that became like the whole huge cultural phenomenon that it is right now and their their process ever since then has been like how many times can we replicate that stranger things experience you know i, I think the most recent big one was squid game which was like a huge you know again worldwide yeah. hit arcane was pretty big too arcane was pretty big yeah you know yeah. They're, they're constantly throwing money at as many projects as they possibly can to hopefully get an arcane or hopefully get a squid game or a stranger things and it yeah. feels like they're starting to do the same thing with games but like nobody is really clued into that and i feel like point p is like maybe the first time i've seen other people talking about netflix games that are like not part of i would say like the gaming news sphere like some of my co-workers are playing point p you know because they're like stoked about it things like that which i think is interesting um but also you know questionable because that's why netflix is where it is now in terms of like their share price dipping and like the company not doing well and like needing to lay a bunch of people off is because like those investments, they're just spending too much money on content that is not working out. And it just feels like they're kind of making that same mistake again with games. And then also like paywalling it or like hiding it behind a subscription login fee on a platform where people are going to like download this game because it looks fun. And then be like, what do you mean I have to sign in with Netflix to play this? It's going to be like, yeah. it's just going to turn a lot of people away. I think. Yeah. It's kind of a, conf- it's a confusing thing to map together, you know, as simple as just like, 
yeah. I go to Netflix for this. It's sort of like if I went to Best Buy and they handed me an orange. I'm like, what? What's happening? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like you might have nice groceries here, but I'm not used to this. This is weird. <laughs> well, in the center of every orange is a coupon code for uh, a Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you this. I've been internally debating whether or not I should get Paramount Plus or just buy TNG on Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. That's why I'd be getting it for the most part, you know? Yeah. I should just have them physically somewhere. Yeah. I I just I got to see that new one. Strange New Worlds sounds great. Yeah, that's true. I do want to watch Discovery as well. But, you know, yeah, one one thing at a time. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Point P is really good, um, even with all of this like messiness around it. Um, I've just been waiting for a follow up to Downwell for a really long time. So I was very excited about this because I love Downwell. If you haven't played Downwell, definitely big recommend there. Um, Worth mentioning this game and the previous game, Chickie's Chase, both on iOS and Android. So regardless of where you are, you can play both. And the third game I want to bring up uh, very, very, very quickly, which is recommended by our friend Kyle. And this is, I think, iOS only because I think it was built in Swift, which is like the the like Apple coding language. But it's called Loco Looper, L-O-C-O Looper. And the whole thing is it's just a puzzle game where you put down train tracks and you just need to put down train tracks in a way that like feels nice and good. And the whole game uh, is just about making you feel nice and good. Uh, it just makes very nice, cute noises, has very nice music and ambiance. Uh, I love it a lot. I only played it for like 30, 35 minutes, but I was like, if we're doing a mobile segment, I want to shout this game out because um i'm probably gonna play it a lot to like wind down or something oh um, yeah i feel like every morning i wake up and do like wordle and framed and this other one called myrtle uh and then also sometimes play not words and that feels like okay i'm waking up and like energizing my brain and this feels like the thing to play before i fall asleep it feels like kind of the the like cosmic opposite of that yeah alto's odyssey was that for me for a while Just oh a yeah very like smooth experience yeah that's yeah. cool yeah, the Altos games were very much my like early morning commuting game when I used to commute a lot because I feel like a train ride would just fly by if I really got in the zone with Altos. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's Loco Looper. All, all, the names of all those games are going to be in the show notes and the description and stuff. So definitely, definitely check all that stuff out. Nice. Do you want to take a quick break and then move on to the next and final segment? Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about this game. Sick. All right, I'll see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Hey out there to all the sinners plucked from hell. We're talking about neon white (laughs) for the Nintendo Switch. (laughs) Hell yeah, man. I have a lot to say. I I think, where do we even begin with this? I'm I'm interested in how excited you were about this game. Were you like yeah. eagerly anticipating this? This got announced, I think, like maybe late last year. I remember the announcement. Yeah, I remember because I think it was initially billed as or at least like I remembered it. Maybe this is like a Bernstein Bears memory. But I remember it being pitched as like a deck builder FPS game that had like a platforming element. But I remember that kind of being the central pitch. And I remember sort of the look of it and the yeah. vibe of it. It wasn't something I had like really written down in my calendar or was like super anticipating until more recently. I think they released a demo on Steam not too long ago that people were like really into. Mm. So there was enough buzz and it looked interesting enough that I, I picked it up on Switch when it dropped. And this is a game that I want to stress this. This doesn't happen very often for this show. We have to play so many games and we genuinely always want to, but like there's usually like a, a hard cut on time just to like get everything in order and stuff. <laughs> um, this is a game where if I start playing it, four hours will pass. 
This is like I, I haven't <laughs> had that happen since Elden Ring, where I just like yeah. can't stop playing a game. Neon White is incredible. It's it's I think instantly one of the year's best in an already very strong year. Yeah. Really what it is is it's essentially it has more in common with like Mario Odyssey and Celeste than FPS. Like it's much more about platforming and getting to a goal as quickly as possible. Some people in the Discord were uh, referring to it as an early Tony Hawk game, which I really <laughs> connect with. Yeah, so every level is like 30 seconds to a minute, you know, on average. Yeah. Um, when you go through it for the first time, especially. So essentially, it's from a first person point of view, kind of like Mirror's Edge ish. And like the presentation reminds me a lot of like killer seven like gamecube 3d vibes going on the twitter account has mentioned like killer seven multiple times in their mm-hmm. influence which you can definitely see killer seven is also just for the record a game that i'm like dying to play one day i've only seen like clips of it and like know of it but i've never actually played and i'm so curious where i'll land on it because it's such a extremely wild game that i yeah i just need to know what i think <laughs> but that aside um neon white like you have to get to the goal and everything Every level is sort of designed to teach you certain mechanics. So like every like mission will be divided into like 10 levels, roughly, sometimes less, sometimes more. I don't know the exact number, but each stage will be okay. Like here in this stage, uh, if you find the pistol card, you know, if you hit one button, it'll just shoot the gun. Uh, But if you get rid of it, if you sacrifice that card, you'll elevate, you'll like jump a little bit higher. Yeah, it'll be like Um, a, a double jump. Or there'll be cards that like make you dash forward or like dash straight down. The way in which that becomes second nature is like really, really well done. Another similarity to like Titanfall 2, where like there's weirdly mm-hmm. more like first person platforming parkour going on than even shooting. Yeah. This is definitely more focused on that than than Titanfall 2 was. But I find that really, really like thrilling and really hard to put down because what will happen is I'll go through a whole list of things and get the objectives met. But then I'll see like, oh, once you beat a level, you get insight on that level and you'll see like there will be a hint on what the actual optimal path is if you want to get like the best possible time. There will also be hidden gifts to find that you give to certain characters and that will unlock like dialogue with them and also side quests, which I'll get to in a bit. So there's a lot of incentive to just revisiting levels on top of even score chasing. So early on, what I did is I would go through all of it. Then I would go back and like get at least like uh, the best possible medal for Mm -hmm. each level. I did that for the first two. And since then, though, I've just been like kind of going through it because I'm curious like where things are going and how things are changing. So I'm kind of saving like the score chase element for when I'm completely done. But on, on a mechanical level, it's 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 one of the year's best like instantly. And this might have like one of the best soundtracks I've heard in a game. It's really good. It's a it's really, really good. great yeah. soundtrack. Yeah, it's on Spotify. It's by an artist called Machine Girl, I believe. Yeah, really great soundtrack. Also on Bandcamp as well, uh, which is worth mentioning. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I, I was pretty kind of ambivalent about this game for most of the like announcement cycle and most of the like press cycle about it. It's being published. It, it's an Annapurna game, right? Yeah. Or is it Devolver? It's Annapurna. It has Devolver energy, but it's Annapurna. It has Devolver energy, but it's Annapurna. Yeah, yeah okay. Anyway, I, I've been kind of like iffy about picking it up, specifically just because a lot of the trailers, first of all, they they implied the kind of like deck building side of it, which is not really part of it, uh, as it turns out. Like you do have cards, but you're not like building a deck. It's really just about like finding optimal lines through a thing. It's very much like if we're making that Tony Hawk comparison, it's like trying to get all the skate letters, you know, like when you need to get yeah. S-K-A-T-E all in one like go. It very much feels like that. Like you're really just 
just going from like point A to point B in the fastest way possible and in like the most stylish way possible. But this idea of like, I'm going to play a super, super, super fast paced first person shooter slash platformer on the Switch was giving me a little bit of pause because the most recent experience I had with something like that was Boomerang X, which I don't think I ever even brought up on the show, but was a game I was really excited about, heard a lot of really good buzz about when it was out on Steam and then dropped on Switch. And I picked it up and just like found it so unwieldy to be trying to play that game as quickly and optimally as they anticipated or expected me to. It felt like the bar for excellence in Boomerang X on the player level was so high that I couldn't even get close to matching it without switching to some of the more like archaic controller schemes, um, of which there are many, you know, a lot of them. And this game included also includes like gyro controls. If you want to like be using the right stick to look around, but use the gyro movement or the gyro aiming to kind of like make more precise, quick decisions. And that's the thing that's become more and more common, I think, on Switch and first person shooters uh, kind of popularized by Splatoon, but has kind of been adopted uh, by a a lot of other a lot of other games. Boomerang X really tried to kind of take that a step further and was the first Switch game to include a thing that was becoming more common on PC, believe it or not, with uh, people who are using gyro aiming on PC because they felt it felt better than using the mouse and keyboard, which is pretty wild. But it's this uh, controller option called Flickstick, which is kind of a combination of like classic first-person shooter controls with a dual analog stick, but also using the stick in conjunction with the gyro controls to like actually just look wherever you want to at any moment um, and make really quick decisions. I found it so unwieldy and so hard to learn that it kind of put me off from the entire experience. Um, so my kind of rough experience with Boomerang which I want to be clear I've heard is great on PC and would love to play on PC at some point uh, when when and if I get a PC um, because I I think the game is very cool Uh, I just didn't like it very much on Switch I I was a little bit nervous about Neon White until some of the reviews dropped and were like glowing like goatee level this is a must play you need to check it out and I heard a little bit of the soundtrack and was like yeah I'm fully in I gotta check it out Um, (laughs) yeah and uh, I'm very much in your camp I mean I when I start playing this I can't stop playing it every time I open my switch uh, again there are many games that came out this week that i'm like really stoked about um we talked about teenage mutant ninja turtles we talked about the three hopes demo i also downloaded the new monster hunter dlc demo oh hell yeah and uh and you know this game and then also omori just came out which i don't think we're gonna talk about this week but i definitely want to bring up eventually because it's yeah. great um maybe that'll be a next week thing but you know whenever i sit down i look at the literally five games that i have just recently downloaded on my nintendo switch neon white is always the thing that i import impulsively go to i don't even think i just immediately open it up because i just want so badly to see all of it and to like just kind of like go through the gauntlet of trying to get the best time possible um i very much like you have been really trying to the the whole way that uh, progression works in this game is as you're making your way through the different levels there's different ranks so there's bronze silver gold and then platinum if you get gold or above uh timing wise you get what's just called like a, a, a i think a mercenary rank right yeah i think so your neon rank maybe yeah, yeah, and it might be neon rank. You might be right. Um, that, that sounds cooler than mercenary rank. Um, <laughs> anyway, you, you go up a, a neon rank. So my move has been to try and get gold on literally every single level, at least, uh, if not platinum. So I've been doing that, and that has been so rewarding and so fun and so cool. I mean, when you start to get into the flow state of this game, it really does become 
like honestly the best first person platforming experience i've ever had in my life like i feel like in completely default settings i haven't changed anything i'll, I'll make some recommendations later because i've heard some stuff online about some maybe more optimal ways to play for people who are like a little bit iffy about it but like out of the box default settings is what i've been playing with and it feels like i have so much control and so much agency over what i'm doing movement wise that i haven't felt at all like i was bumping up against what the game was trying to get me to do like i feel like i am fully in control and i am making all the choices and when i fuck up it's on me it's not on like the game having kind of more archaic control schemes or like wilder things that it's trying to get me to accomplish anytime there's a challenge it's a challenge of puzzle it's not a challenge of like am i physically able to press the buttons fast enough to do this thing? yeah and the ability to restart the level anytime is really helpful in that yeah, that's kind of what totally. reminds me of celeste where like a lot of the levels will be like okay kind of similar to celeste's b-sides like half of the process is like what does Learning. the game want me to yeah. do and then how do i do it um right. and i found that like the what do i do is usually harder than the how do i do it which i think is very important because like mm -hmm. that makes it like the moment you discover usually you're gonna get it whereas like celeste b-sides the how do i do it is two hours you know like at right, least yeah <laughs> uh, which you know is thrilling if that's what you want out of the experience but here it's like the design of the levels are like it's going to be within reach like i don't think you need to like master the controls to do what the game is asking you to do because mm -hmm. usually the optimal paths as well are like just ignore this part of the level and go straight over here you know it's like yeah yeah a, a hunch you might have about the design is usually rewarded and then finding the gifts is also really fun because you can kind of forget about like time and demons and just be like where is this hidden? How yeah. can I get to that building? Or like, it just is straight up puzzle solving. Yeah. yeah. Like the get that you'll see a present box in one level, there's a present behind the glass. So it's yeah. like, it's in the same room as me, but how do I get like in that room? And it involves finding like an air duct and then using the fireball twice to like launch yourself up the chimney. Basically mm. it's sick. It's so cool. So like, yeah, it's really, really fun. And like, I think immediately a goatee contender, the one caveat I have, and I won't get too into this because, you know, this show is about celebrating games we like, but I do think that the narrative side of things is at least not on the same level as everything else we've just been talking about. Like, mm -hmm. I think the game is going for a really campy tone and it's definitely like, I think it, it largely works. I, I think that like, I also think the central premise of, you know, the story is, uh, heaven has this like tournament where uh, a bunch of people who would have gone to hell are given a chance to just be at heaven for a bit if they wipe out all the demons yeah that that central premise i think is a lot of fun and there's a lot of intrigue of like who are these people like what were they like in life um yeah. the main character neon white doesn't remember anything so like everyone he meets is like kind of entering with a very strong assumption assumption of their relationship so like neon yellow is like hey man we're bros like i have your back no matter what and he's like who are you uh yeah. you know neon violet is like very like harley quinn like seductive but also like talks about stabbing a lot uh and then neon red <laughs> is sort of like a noir love interest where she's like kind of implying there's like a past history 
that she's yeah. not really laying on. So I love that. Like I think that there's a really strong sense of character and there's a really strong sense of like setup and payoff. Like I think the actual plot is well constructed. It's just the moment to moment dialogue sometimes is hit or miss for me. We're like, mm-hmm. like I've heard the term noob thrown out like more than three times. And I'm like, can we just like stop saying that forever? <laughs> like even if it's ironic, uh, I don't know. I, I just find the the moments of, of humor, especially are like a little bit more hit or miss for me, but at least it's going, it has a very strong sense of identity. So like whether yeah. or not the camp is working or the jokes are working like the the vibe of the world is very clear and it's got a really great voice cast who are like having fun with the script and like that makes it infectious i just wish very subjectively i think when something is kind of going for like an overtly campy tone i much prefer it to just be weird and own that versus the like that was weird joke you know what i mean yeah that would just be a different script so i'm not you know that's not constructive but like that's i know what you mean though it gets so close to that edge but has such a like thick slathering of irony over all of it that it's like yeah oh you just kind of became the thing that you were trying to be ironic about unfortunately yeah exactly Exactly. Um, I, I definitely am enjoying the script, I think, a little bit more than you are. My my big pushback on this game narratively, I think, is the ways in which they handle the more uh, like kind of like Fire Emblem support dialogue scenes. Um, yes. So th- the way this game works mechanically in, in the levels is when you get a present, that present is like tied to one of the other neons or another character in heaven that you interact with frequently. So like it'll be like the guy who's giving you missions or it'll be neon, yellow, violet or red, as you were talking about, or like there's a bartender that you can give gifts to as well and the way it works is as you continue to give them gifts you kind of like raise your support percentage with them and when you max out a level you will get some kind of reward for that and that will either be a dialogue scene or a side quest or in some other cases it'll be like little trinkets that you can like put in your room or a memory of like the character before they die like yes a memory scene yes yeah. the dialogue sequences i find kind of have the opposite approach unfortunately to what we were just talking about with three hopes and three houses where i feel like in three houses anytime you started to raise a support percentage with somebody you would start to learn a little bit more about them and you would start to see their arc grow and, and you would kind of like get a new facet of who that person is via that conversation so like whether it's you as byleth or as shez talking to this character you're learning something about them that you know maybe like predates the game or maybe is about where they're trying to head you know i I feel like the best example of this is i I don't want to say who it is uh specifically for spoiler reasons but there's a character in the game in three houses who i think has one of the most interesting arcs from a support dialogue perspective because when they start off they start kind of as like a classic like sword and board knight and it's very clear that they should be an archer the more you talk to them like it's they actually tell you how to reclass them based on their dialogue because of the things that they're doing and some of the like more subtle nuances of their conversations. I feel like I'm not getting any of that from this game at all. Like, I feel like I'm not learning really anything about these people. It's just like anytime I get a new dialogue scene, it's just like kind of more quirky what I already know about them. You know, it's like, yeah, I feel the same way. Neon Violet is going to like try and make me uncomfortable by like saying things that are like overtly sexual or are like pretty like hardcore and scary in a way. (laughs) Yeah. Neon Yellow is just going to kind of be the classic like your best friend in persona, but like never really have that like interesting undertone to them that I feel like you would usually get in that game. So frequently I feel like I'm I'm just kind of like reaffirming what I already know instead of learning something new. I think I think that's my biggest gripe because I think the whole like there's a whole persona side to this between missions that like I don't think really works at all. I don't think it detracts from the game. I, I do enjoy the process of finding gifts and like the one big thing I love 
getting from the characters after giving them gifts is the side quests. So like for every character, eventually you'll reach a point in their like rank where you get a side quest. And that is like a bonus level that is almost kind of designed with that character in mind. So Neon Yellow's first side mission, uh, you can't use the alternate form of a weapon. So that means like, you know, when you get a pistol, normally you would sacrifice that and you can elevate yourself. And this you can only fire. And like his level is kind of like a roller coaster ride where it's just like you like going as fast as possible, firing at everything in front of you, which like that actually gives me more about his character than any totally. of the dialogue scenes. Same with Violet. I love Violet's levels. Cause like, yeah. first of all, it's all spikes. Like her levels are just like traps and spikes everywhere. Yeah. And you'll often be given a card and your impulse is to use it right away. And that will lead you immediately to your death. So mm-hmm. like the game is playing with design very strongly in Violet's levels. And there's one where you get like a bunch of stomp cards in a row. So you're going like down, 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 and you're going to just keep doing that. And if you do, you end up on a platform where you can't get anywhere. You're on this like rock in space and you see the goal behind a glass (laughs) door in front of you. And there's a sign that says idiot Island. And like (laughs) yet again, like that mission, I got Violet's like whole vibe in the game. My feedback on the script is less like, oh, like, I, I don't think it's good. And more like, I, I feel like all the ingredients are here for like a really compelling narrative. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting it much more like in the moment to moment gameplay than I am when the action stops and they make me watch a scene that is hit or miss. Yeah. You know, so like I almost wish they took because there's a lot of levels where you'll see one of the other characters like running ahead of you. And I'm like kind of surprised there there isn't more dialogue just like as you're progressing in a level, you know? Yeah. That, it seems like kind of a missed opportunity. But that being said, like I think there's so much to love about this game. And like I do think that even when there's a scene that I kind of like roll my eyes at or feel weird about, I'm always intrigued at what's going to happen next. And yeah. a lot of that is due to just the presentation and the music and just like how fun the actual game is. So like, I think if the narrative was on the same level, it would be like an immediate all timer for me. I think it's <laughs> as it stands, though, it's still like an incredible game that I'm like extremely enjoying. So that's my overall thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty much with you. I do find myself skipping a lot more dialogue than I thought I would be at this point. I, yeah. I am I am really just trying to like see the end. Um, I, I think one thing that we should mention specifically about the setup for this game is that uh yes all these people have been plucked out of hell specifically to like take out the demons in heaven the idea is that whoever does the best whoever like scores the best gets to stay in heaven so you know it's kind of like you will get god's forgiveness if you do well enough in these trials and it creates for me i think the most interesting aspect of this a very like battle royale the movie kind of energy where like all these people are helping each other and talking and like conversing but there is the understanding that like only one of them can win like one of them will need to stand head and shoulders above the others uh which probably means that everyone else will die in some way so there's always this kind of uneasiness between all the characters it's like who's gonna stab me in the back and when like how long can i trust this person for we're getting further and further into this competition can i trust this person and there's also this kind of like lingering overall interesting uh bit which is that there is a character named neon green who is the previous year's winner and they have to come back and like hold on to their ability to stay in heaven so there's this very like almost scariness this like freaky energy to neon green because like 
they have gotten to live in heaven for a year and it's possible that might just end if they lose. Um, so they're going all out in a way that's like actually terrifying. Like he will just go and kill other neons kind of indiscriminately because it just means taking somebody else off the board who might beat him in the end. I find all of that to be really, really compelling. I'm less interested in the like, who were we all before we all died kind of side of it. I am much more interested, weirdly enough, in like the heaven and God side of it. Like, I'm really curious about like, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to say too much, but like, you know, there are questions within the first like 30 to 40 minutes of the game that's like, is this even real? Like, is this even heaven? Like, no one really knows for sure. It just feels like they all just woke up and like have to endure whatever the fuck this is because it's yeah. better than the eternal damnation. I'm like at least a little over halfway through. Uh, so without spoiling too much, I will say that like that side of the game, the like, where are we? Why are we doing this? What's going on in heaven? That story is like pretty solid through the whole game. Yes. I, I think I'm disappointed by like, I think that there was an opportunity with the like support scenes, persona side of things to like have a compliment to that. Like, you know, mm -hmm. in this competition with this like every character I meet, you know, there's a really interesting beat early on where like, you know, Neon Yellow is like kind of your you know your your best friend who's seemingly very friendly and Violet has talked about stabbing you multiple times. There's a point where she's like, hey, like I'm just saying this for your own safety. Like don't trust Yellow. Like don't yeah, don't right. fall for his act. And I, that's that's kind of what led me to finding the gifts because i'm like i wonder if in the support scenes i'm gonna get another side of violet here i mean everyone's wearing a mask so like mm -hmm. it, it's it seems pretty obvious that everyone has like a front to who they really are and without saying too much i've been very disappointed with like the lack of follow-up on that feeling like i feel like pretty much everyone is just who they are in the first scene which isn't inherently bad i just think that like the game was allowing there for there to be like another side to them or at least like getting to know them on a deeper level and it, it feels kind of superfluous it just feels like another moment at like the bar or something i think it's it's just more evidence of how hard it is to like have that side to a game and i also think that like comparing it to persona or even three houses in those support scenes you're getting a side of the character you're getting these narrative beats these little arcs but you're also getting like mechanical rewards for it you mm -hmm. know so like in fire emblem the higher support rank you are with someone the better you will fight side by side in persona you get like you know wild animated moves together that are like little like cutscenes. Yeah, you and get like, superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> you get superpowers. Here it's like you only really get the bonus levels and even those feel like kind of a side element to the whole experience. So yeah. you know, it's again it's it's not really getting in the way of the experience. It's just not on the same level as everything else. Yeah. But I'm I mean I'm with you still. Even with that, I would say gripe, it's one of the best games I've played this year. I mean I, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't put it down. I can't yeah. stop playing it. Um I will absolutely platinum every level. Like I, I have gold on pretty much every level. I think there's only only one that I've played so far. I'm also pretty far into the game. There's only one level that I haven't been able to get gold on yet because I just like can't wrap my head around it. And I like definitely absolutely will. And I've gotten the gifts on every level that I played so far as well. I just am like fully, fully in on that. Uh, I have like score chase brain through and through with this thing. It is fun. You can also see like at the end of every level, you can see where you rank globally, like amongst other players and also yeah. like with your friends on Switch. So I'll, I'll see our scores every time I finish a level. Yeah, that's ha that has been the motivating factor for me with this game uh, really? is is trying to beat your score. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I very frequently will be at a level, see that you beat me by like maybe 0.3 seconds and be like, I am going to kick Steven's <laughs> ass. <laughs>
I like how I've become the actual Gary to you in this scenario. Yeah, you really, uh, you really have. Yeah, I think, I think if not for the fact that I, I am confronted with your time, because you and I are the, I mean, you're the only person I'm friends with on Switch who has played this game so far. So like, you are always the only time there. So seeing that not only have you made it farther in the game than me because you already have a score on the board, but that it's better than mine immediately makes me want to beat you. <laughs> So I will say at this point, I am, I think, seven chapters in uh, and there is only one level that you have a better time than me on right now. Nice. I got to go back and clean up. You got to go back. I think I'm on chapter 10 and I think I'm, I'm definitely in like the last act of the game. I would say like if you mainline it and don't do like any of the bonus stuff, this is a pretty short game. You could probably like beat it in like eight hours, I would guess. Yeah. Maybe even less. But you will probably want to get a better score and find gifts and stuff. Definitely. And even though, like, even though we've critiqued the support stuff, like, you'll still probably do it. Like, you'll still probably want to see what happens, you know? Yeah. So, like, there's there's enjoyment to be had there, just not quite on the same level. But yeah, it's it's an incredible game. Would recommend, and it is kind of a miracle how well it performs on Switch. I've like noticed a couple levels where like early on it might like stutter a bit, but so far nothing has really gotten in the way of like oh, achieving wow. my time. Yeah. yeah, I haven't noticed that literally at all. I just am like fully in. I just like blast the music. I, th- I think this game is incredible. Yeah, I've been listening to the soundtrack a lot. Yeah, it's really good. But I think that I think that's it. <laughs> I think that's it for the episode. We did it. Not bad for a dead guy, huh? Um, <laughs> fuck <laughs> hey thank you all so much for listening if you like the show the best way to help it grow is to share with a friend into the cast.online is our hub for everything like we mentioned on the top we are uh, right after this we're going to record a patreon episode that's a kind of a wrap up of all the summer announcements not e3 stuff going on starfield we have already talked about i think the sony state of play uh, on a recent episode and yeah. we will do something if nintendo happens but this will be kind of everything else in one place uh, another special thanks to our patrons we really really appreciate the support and that's basically it do you have anything else to add no not really i think uh i think we're good it's been a longer one so yeah I think we could just wrap up uh, my name is brendan bigley you can find me on the internet at brendan bigley i'm stephen hilger you found me at stephen hilger have a wonderful rest of your day have such a good week everybody goodbye bye <laughs> Worst garbage, the online.